Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Welcome to The Plant. I I, got to be honest with you. I am like... I'm so excited for what God is doing in people's lives. But more important, and I know this sounds weird because we are driven in a culture that as long as what I'm doing, people are like following me or, or, or like, you know, connect with me, that, that my life is determined on others. I'm at that stage in my life. I don't care. Whatever Jesus is doing in me, that's the number one thing. That's the number one thing. And we have been going through our our values as a church for the last 15 years. If you were here 15 years ago, this morning has been our posture. This has been our posture. That what Jesus is doing in us needs to be electrifying in such a way. And so we've been talking about different core values that we have. We're Christ-centered, discipleship-motivated And this morning, we're going to look at a Holy Spirit-compelled church. Think about that word compelled. What does compelled mean? To be be forced or driven to a particular course of action, right? Compelled. Something compelled me. I, I was forced. I was driven to a particular course of action, often by an irresistible internal urge, or as I love how my mentor calls it, the holy nudge. Have you ever had a nudge? Have you ever had that urge that that there's something that you just have to do no matter what? That that nudge to just, who cares what anyone else thinks? I'm doing it. And and oftentimes as preachers, what we do is like we, we use these like superheroes, these superstars, we use athletes and, and people who have accomplished amazing, crazy things that the world really glorifies. But for me, I see in our church those who respond to that nudge. Grace, you respond to that holy nudge with hands of hope, right? She, during COVID, when the world shut down, she said there are people in Patterson that are hungry and cannot provide for themselves. And she says, I have to. And so she gathered some of her friends, and they started going down, and they probably went down one day, now they go down two days a week. That's spirit-compelled. I think about Joe Florio, that he went out to Fort Belknap in Montana. You know about the missions trip that we went to. And when he went out there, he fell in love with the people, And he goes every single year, whether the plant goes or not. There's that that holy nudge that he has to respond. I think about my daughter and son-in-law living in Central Asia. They had a holy nudge to say that, like, we are not supposed to be here. We need to go there. And I can honestly say in all of our lives that there is this holy nudge that that we all have. And the reason we respond to the big holy nudges in our life is because we've learned to respond to the little holy nudges. And we are a spirit-compelled church. That means that when I see my worship guy up here and he's getting caught in the moment 
And I see him holding back tears. He's a lefty guitarist, so I have to play lefty. And, and he's holding back tears that he ain't done. And I'm like, we need to finish this up. What's that holy nudge? When people are making huge life decisions and everything in their life is telling them, no, don't do it. But yet the Holy Spirit is saying, who cares what the world says? You are called to step into it. We get to be the people that come alongside them and help them nudge them along. This morning, we're going to look at a passage in Acts because we've been studying Acts. And every one of our core values just circles throughout Acts. Christ-centered all throughout Acts. Discipleship motivated all throughout Acts. Spirit compelled, not only in Acts, but all throughout the scriptures. This morning, this is my challenge, that you will be spirit-compelled people. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you that you would use this, this passage. I ask you right now that each one of us would know that we are here for a reason and a moment. God, I thank you that you have taught me to trust the nudge, especially when I don't want to. So Holy Spirit, use this passage in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 8, 26 through 35. If you want to open your Bibles, if you want to read along with me behind, um, let's read this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kadate, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. If anyone is reading from their own Bibles or highlighting in their own um, tablets, that is something very significant to underline. The book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk up beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice who can speak of his descendants. For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus. So let's talk about the background first because this is really important. You get to Acts chapter 8. And right before Acts chapter 8, the church was thriving up to about chapter 6, beginning of chapter 7. Everything was going planned. But then Stephen, one of the disciples, not an apostle, a disciple, was caught in the crossfires 
of a conversation in which he was stoned to death. And the church was living in a place of great, great fear. Some of them had scattered. Some of them tried to figure out, do we stay in Jerusalem? What do we do? But remember what Jesus said. He said, go into Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? Judea, go everywhere. Just don't stay in Jerusalem. But what had happened was, after this this situation with Stephen, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the people went and preached the word wherever they went. And so in the midst of this conflict of losing Stephen, the disciples and the apostles stuck to the plan. Jesus said, preach the word. The problem is, is that what we have done is we think what Pastor Rob does is preaching. That's not the right Greek translation. My buddy Kyle Stoker right here, he is a traveling preacher. He literally every single day on his work sites is preaching the good news of Jesus. He calls me up. He's like, what's up, brother? What's going on? He's like, you'll never believe this conversation. You'll never believe what just happened. And as he's working in all these sites, he looks for gospel conversations. That is the proper Greek translation of preaching. It's not standing up and proclaiming. It's proclaiming in conversation, in relationship, and in circumstance the good news about Jesus. And so you get to this place in Acts chapter 8 where there's this double holy nudge. Anyone have a a a double nudge? Anyone? Because the first time you don't respond to it, right? So the second time you better or you know something's gonna happen. But what Philip had learned was this. Trust the nudge. Everyone say that with me. Trust the nudge. nudge. On the count of three. One, two, three. Trust the nudge. Trust the nudge. And oftentimes, it not only takes a couple nudges, it takes a couple swift kicks, right, for us to kind of respond to God. But the beautiful thing is that when you've learned to respond to the things of God, you respond quicker and swifter as you realize that when God sets you up with a nudge, because there's something waiting for you to be a part of. You hear what I'm saying? There's something that God is preparing. And when you look at this passage, it's a very interesting passage. Because the first divine nudge came from an angel. We don't like talking about angels in in Bible churches, do we? Right? We don't really get caught up with them. The angels are kind of like side conversations. Like, hey, I, I, I think I saw an angel one day. Just don't tell Pastor Rob. Like, dude, if you saw an angel, please tell me. Please. I've seen an angel. I've seen an angel. As a young boy, I saw an angel, and I knew it was a divine being because he rescued us from a place that was unsafe to bring us to a place of safety. And the angel said, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip has this divine moment where an angel's like, go. Here's your roadmap. That's all you need to know. And the beauty about the nudge is you don't need to know the ending of the nudge. Do you know that? We talked about that two weeks ago. That God doesn't tell us everything. All he invites us to do is trust him. To have faith that he's right there. And the only thing that we are invited to do is to trust him along 
the way. You see, faith is believing in what you don't see. Trust is our ability to follow that faith factor. That's what trust is. Trust is saying that I'm going to act on that which I believe God is calling me to do. That's what trust is. It's not about having more faith. It's saying, yes, I believe, so I will go and I will trust God along the way. And so as he went, there was a second nudge. This one was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, Philip, go near the carriage. Go to the carriage. That's it. Go to the carriage. And I love when I was reading this because I'm thinking, like, did the carriage stop? Did it keep going? But if you really read this, the carriage just kept going. It's not like they stopped, opened their thermos, had a nice cup of coffee. This carriage was going. And Philip kind of ran over, walked alongside it, and then finally got to the place that he was going to have conversation with this individual, a eunuch from Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit said, go. Go next to the carriage. And when he showed up, I love that he simply asked a couple questions. Let me go back and show you the questions. He says, do you understand what you are reading? How powerful are questions, right? Sometimes it, it really takes the right question to unlock what we are trying to process through. And I believe that Philip heard him reading the passage from Isaiah. Matter of fact, that passage from Isaiah was so profound that Luke, the author, inserted it into this passage. He was led like a sheep to be slaughtered, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And Philip just simply asked a question. Do you understand what you're reading? I think we're so often trying to tell people what we want them to hear from us. Rather than asking questions to get to their heart cry to pull on their heartstrings. We get together with people and we talk more than we listen, right? How many ears do we have, right? Two. How many mouths do we have? One, right? We're called to listen more than talk. And, and I love how this is how the eunuch responds. How can I? How can I? Unless someone instructs me. What a deep place of vulnerability. You know how many times people have opened the Bible and they're like, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. And then they open up to Lamentations. Why would you ever start reading the Bible in Lamentations? Right? Think about it. Why would you open the Bible to like Job? That would be the first book of the Bible to read. That's probably not the best book to read first. And so there's so many people out there that just kind of like open the scriptures and say, I'm more confused than I started. How can I, unless anyone instructs me? And I bet you this is not, it's not in here, but I bet you Philip was like, do you really want to know? 
Because that's how I always follow up a question. Do you really want to know? Do you really want to know what it says? And Jesus go, he tells about Jesus going to the cross to, the, to be the sacrificial lamb for all the world. And because he was a substitutionary sacrifice for us, he took our sin upon himself. We are given everlasting life. And I love what it says in this passage, how it says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was a prophet talking about himself or someone else? He's talking about Jesus. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about who? Jesus. Not the good news about himself, not the good news about the prophet, but the good news about the one that he was reading about. Think how powerful that is. That these little nudges, oftentimes when we look at Acts, Acts chapter 8 is not one of the ones that we just jump, that jump out and, and grabs us. But to me, I think that this is one of the most relevant passages in all of Scripture today. In 2023, I believe this passage is one of the most relevant passages of today. Why? People have questions. And do we really listen to what they're asking? Holy Spirit is nudging us along. Do we respond to him? Or do we expect the church to do the job? Yet the church is not the building. The church is the people. But what I, may, what I think is so relevant about this passage is the individual who is asking the questions, the Ethiopian eunuch. Because this man just came back from Jerusalem to worship God. He was a God-fearing individual. He was someone who was searching for truth. He was someone who went on a very long, several-month journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to make amends with God. How many of us have ever tried to make amends with God? Right? Me and Chris. Anyone else? There's a couple college kids, right? But, but isn't that our life? We're always trying to make amends with God. God, forgive me, forgive me. I promise you I'll never do it again. Anyone ever say that? I'll never do it again. Anyone ever say that? Yeah, everyone, right? Right. No matter how old you are, God, I promise I'll never do that again. Yeah, right. If you say that, that means you will do it again, right? So, so think about that. But he went to go make amends. He went to go make amends. This is a very unique individual. He was a place that worked for royalty, but he was not royalty. He was not allowed to be royalty, but he worked for royalty. He worked for the queen of Ethiopia. It wasn't modern-day Ethiopia. It was called Nabi. It's different. It's further away from there, actually closer to Jerusalem. 
and he had a high ranking, that he was the treasurer. So what made him a eunuch? He was, at a young age, castrated, unable to ever, ever help a child be conceived. And all the parents with young kids in here are like, where's he going with this? He was deliberately maimed at a young age so that he could never be put in an awkward situation with the queen or other royalty to have an affair, to cause trouble, to find himself in some kind of circumstance. And so what they would do was they would castrate these young boys. And everybody knew that he was a eunuch. You want to know why? Because he was castrated at such a young age that he was unable to fully develop. Do you know that? Do you know that? That's one of the, the big arguments with puberty blockers. Do you know that? You hear where I'm going? Some people are like, where's he going? But there is a point when you stop the maturing process of a young boy's body or a young lady's body, they will never fully develop. And so they look different. They talk different. They weren't fully developed. And yet here you have this individual who was a God-fearer, really wanting to know God. And not only wanting to know God, but be known by God. Look what it says. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully what? Committed to him. So whatever was going on in this man's life, there came a point that he said, I'm a God-fearer. I want to know God, and not only do I want to know God, I want to be known by him. And so he went, and he sacrificed at the temple. But when he went, he would have gone to the outside of the gates. He could have never entered like everybody else. And yet there's this big battle in his soul. Does God see me? Interesting. The biggest problems with the disciples were this. They only liked sharing with those who were like them. The Jewish community. Let's stay in Jerusalem. Let's convert all the Jewish people because they are most like us. And yet, what happens when people are not like us? Do we love them where they're at? Do we meet them? Do we trust the holy nudge that, that what God is doing in us may be that same nudging that he's doing in someone else? And the church doesn't know how to handle this. And yet when I look at Acts, the Spirit is compelling people from all over the world to be in a relationship with him. I love what it says next. And this is the Ethiopian eunuch. 
as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Why can't I be Jewish? Wow, it's a pretty powerful statement. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way. What? Say it a little louder. Say it a little louder. Rejoicing. Baptism. Embracing our identity. Baptism. Embracing who Jesus has called us to be. There was a place in this conversation with Philip where he longed to be seen by God. He longed to know that not only was he going to Jesus for the remission of his sins, but Jesus was actually that, that substitutionary act of, that he would receive the forgiveness for his sins. And he had heard from Philip along the way that baptism allows us to be identified as sons and daughters of God. Look what scripture says. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And I see this conversation between Philip and this man. And Philip was talking to him about Jesus and how Jesus gave this command to go into all the world and baptized and teaching them to obey. And he's like, I'm trying to obey. What do I need to do? It begins with understanding where your identity comes from. Because when we allow our identity as sons and daughters of God to be identified in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, because of Jesus, what we are saying is my old self has been put to death and I'm willing to follow Jesus wherever he invites me to go. That's what baptism is. That whoever I once was, no matter how people identified me as the Ethiopian eunuch, today I'm a follower of Jesus. And where Jesus invites me to go, I go. I go. Look at another passage. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean, from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our identity should never be based on what the world tells us we are. Our identity should never be based on what, what we want to define ourselves as we are. Our identity, if we claim who Jesus is, the only identity we should ever fully walk in is who we are as sons and daughters 
of God. And when the Spirit of God compels you, you are willing to allow Jesus to do the deepest work in your life. The starting point is this. It's hunger. That's the first nudge. That's the first compelling act that the Spirit does in us, is hunger. And the second is this, coming fully transparent before the living God. So we allow the living God to do his deepest work in our lives. We have no idea what happens to the Ethiopian eunuch. But I do know this. That if that same spirit of God who nudged Philip to speak to this man who is having this deep hunger nudge, he who began a good work in that man was going to finish it and complete it until he stood before his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I say this all the time. Everybody's welcome. But Jesus wants everyone to change. Not conform, but be changed, transformed by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm being fully, fully transparent, on Wednesday I spent a day in study, in prayer, in fasting, and I wept over this passage. I wept. I wept over like, God, you who began the good work, you're the one who finishes it. Are we going to be that church that trusts the holy nudge and and are willing to meet people right where they're at so they can fully live in their identity as sons and daughters of God? not the identity that this world puts on them. That's a tough one. We are a Christ-centered, discipleship-motivated, spirit-compelled church. That means that we trust that he who began a good work in us wants to do a good deep work in others. And all we can do is trust the holy nudge to love the people that God puts right in front of us. It's funny you two sit up here. (laughs) They're like my, my cheerleaders today. Come up here for a minute. This was a holy nudge. Do you mind if I share some of your story? Chris went through a horrific divorce. He moved from Wayne to Franklin Lakes, having no idea that you were going to have this crazy opportunity to be neighbors to Kyle Stoker. (laughs) And Kyle started loving on his neighbors, which he's always done. 
God opened the door for a holy nudge to be able to love on Chris and meet Chris where he's at and help Chris process through the chaos he was walking through. Dealing with the lies, not only that, that, that you had believed prior to, but the lies that were being told down to you. And he allowed questions to be asked. That today, not only is Kyle walking with Jesus, but Chris is a follower of Christ too. And for someone in Chris's situation, there's a lot of lies. How will the church respond to me? How will the church love me? Will I ever be able to take communion again? Right? Man, you can take communion every Sunday. Or Saturday nights. <laughs> and Chris, when I met with him at the diner one day to give him the big come to Jesus talk, have him pray the magic prayer, because that's what we believe, he literally stopped me in Majestic Diner and he says, I've already done that. Jesus met me and we already had that conversation. And he was baptized. And he's been learning to live in this new identity as a son of God. And now on every other Wednesday nights, they invite their neighbors and guy friends to meet around a campfire, to chop it up, and talk about Jesus. There are so many people out there, no matter where they're at, are hungry and starving and have big questions. I'm not challenging you to change the world. I'm challenging you to be present for one life at a time. That is the most profound, holy thing anyone can ever do. Be available so that another person has the opportunity to have life transformation. You guys can sit down. Uh, camera, I'm walking around, so you're not going to follow me. <laughs> I look around this room, and I see that, and we miss that. We're so much about the big rather than the life transformation. Stand up. Team, you guys stand up. You guys are late. You're supposed to leave 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Every Sunday, they leave at 9.50, and I think I offended them. They're going down to Patterson to meet with people that feel like they have no identity. No one loves them. No one cares about them. They've been thrown in the dark. We don't know their story. We don't know their narrative. We don't know what's happened to them. But they go. They feel like that eunuch. They are the, they are the distressed of society. You are spirit compelled. And in your brokenness, Jesus is making you whole. Because we will always be broken here on earth. But in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, because of Jesus, we are perfectly whole. That's what the world's hungering for. A church that says, what are you reading? What are you thinking? What do you care about? We are spirit-compelled people 
who are invited into each other's lives to help them see Jesus as someone else helped us see Jesus too. Amen? Let's take communion. The night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. What Jesus did was he put, him in the most vulnerable, put himself in the most vulnerable situation for others. And that was allowing himself to be put to death on a cross. Are you willing to die for others? Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable to be invited into other people's lives? Because every time you do, it's a form of putting yourself to death because you're putting others above yourself. Let's eat. Then he took the cup. So this is the cup of the new covenant. It's the Holy Spirit. When we drink the cup, we're saying, Holy Spirit, you live in us. Holy Spirit, I'm trusting your nudge. Holy Spirit, I will trust your nudge. When you drink this, you're giving the Spirit of God permission to convict you, to change you, and to lead you to others. To convict you, to change you, and lead you to others. You know what? That's all that matters in this life. Change me, convict me, Help me find one other. If my world is one other, that's all I'm called to do, I'm drinking. Let's drink. Holy Spirit, just come do a deep work. Come do a deep work. Let's just do the course. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.